Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back, folks. Oh, yes. Oh, Christ. We're back. Welcome back to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. Real quick, I just want to start off by apologizing for the lack of content we've put out this summer. Uh, we have actually recorded several episodes this year, but due to availability issues, real life things, and a variety of other reasons, we've kind of failed to actually get those edited in a timely manner so that they're still you know, topical and relevant. So we sort of just scrapped them, kicked them to the side, but rest assured, the podcast is still alive and well. We'll definitely be back in full swing come football season. But until football season gets back to full swing... In an effort to generate some more content for everyone, we're going to start doing something a little bit new. Uh, We're going to do some semi-regular quick hitter solo episodes, kind of covering the week's news regarding the football team and possibly other Texas athletics programs and athletes as necessary. Just sort of reacting and giving our opinions on things as they happen. Uh, For the most part, I'll probably be the one doing these solo rant casts, as I'm sort of calling them. But Noah and producer Tux will also be able to chime in with rants of their own if they see something that they want to talk about. With all that in mind, I am your host, Josh, here for the first rant cast of the Fire Steve Sarkeesian era. And today we're going to discuss the two biggest storylines for Texas fans coming out of Big 12 Media Days. Steve Sarkeesian echoing the recently departed from Austin Tom Herman. And the revival of the dumbest controversy in college sports as Horns Down is once again back in the news. And since we never really got to talk about it, we did record an episode about it. But we can touch a bit on Texas's Texas baseball's run in Omaha in the College World Series. Who got drafted? Who's confirmed to be returning? And really what my expectations are for David Pierce moving forward as the head coach of Texas baseball. So first off, Steve Sarkeesian gave everyone PTSD today at Big 12 Media Days, repeating Tom Herman's favorite phrases, it seemed like, uh, saying you can't just sprinkle fairy dust and expect to have a good team, and that winning is hard. And I know that triggered a ton of people in this fan base. And, I mean, good reason and bad reason, obviously. Good reason being that it... I mean, Tom Herman would repeat it, and eventually it became an annoying excuse for just being a shitty football coach. And there's a lot of hope that we're not going to see the same things from Steve Sarkeesian, obviously. So I I can understand people's sort of immediate reaction to that not being super positive. I know when I watched it, I sort of choked a little bit and laughed. It's like, you got to be fucking kidding me this again. Uh, Definitely some time is a flat circle shit to have a brand new coach, have fired the guy who kept saying dumb shit like this all the time, and then... Get all of this sort of salesmanship from Steve Sarkeesian about how things are different coming from people inside and outside the program saying that. So, I mean, it it, it was a little jarring to hear that come out of his mouth. But in the end, it's one of those coach speak things. It is true. Winning is difficult in the sense that you need to put in work. You can't be lazy. You can't just you can't phone it in on any given day and expect to win consistently 
in Division One football, in the FBS level, at the Power Five level, especially in the Big 12, when you have other really good teams that you're going up against. You, Even with that talent advantage, there's still a lot of work that gets put in. That's why the Clemsons and the Alabamas of the world are so good, is not just because they're wildly talented, but because they do put the time in at every single practice. They take every opponent seriously, and it shows when you dominate your opponents as regularly as Clemson and Alabama do, and we can argue about weak conferences, but that's not the point. Uh, because Texas has struggled in recent years against weak opponents, and that really just comes down to a lack of focus and a lack of taking things seriously game to game. So, yes, winning is hard, and no, you can't just sprinkle fairy dust and expect everything to be better on the football team. So, at the very least, it, it reflects positively that Sark understands that there's still a lot of work that needs to go into that, and he within the context of the conversation that he was having and and what he was talking about, about the amount of work, how far the team has come culturally, how far they still have left to go, uh, what he said was true. But, I mean, damn it, dude. You couldn't have picked any other set of words to say that same shit. I mean, you'd said it before. All gas, no brakes. Uh, In the end, really just circles back to that things are hard you it's go 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 and you don't have time to let up that's the same at its core that's the exact same idea as saying winning is hard but you really i you really didn't need to trigger everyone like that um but i did enjoy a lot of the memes a lot of the gifs and stuff on twitter that was legitimately entertaining uh but it was a little bit annoying how many people are continuing, even as I'm like starting to record this, how many new posts I'm seeing about it where people are still freaking out that he said that. But, you know, coach speak is going to be coach speak. I think even Lincoln Riley said that at Big 12 Media Days, and I don't think anyone's doubting coming into this year that OU sucks is probably going to be the best team yet again in the conference. So hopefully that's wrong. Hopefully OU stumbles and falls, but coach speak is coach speak. You can't really look too hard into it but on the other hand maybe sark was just fucking with everyone like he knows what gets under the skin of the texas fan base and that i don't know i don't know but it he he said it set off a bunch of people kind of silly but you know whatever here we are the next big story sort of coming out of big 12 media days is the illustrious career of kurt bowles continues to circle the drain at a certain point you're wondering when this motherfucker is just going to retire because none of the questions are useful he asks players stupid shit about how much they're benching and then he asks the big 12 refs what they're going to do about horns down this year which just set off a shit show online uh, because the big 12 refs basically said yeah we're going to be emphasizing calling more taunting penalties this year taking that more seriously making that a point of emphasis and it really wasn't specifically about horns down but when you're texas and you're as recognizable and you have as recognizable a sign as the the hook'em horns hand sign everyone's gonna fucking blame you and pretend it was your fault and that it's all just there to protect texas it doesn't matter whether or not that's based on reality. It doesn't matter matter whether or not we actually ask for it. And it certainly doesn't matter that Texas has been penalized as many times for mocking other teams' hand gestures as they have been flagged for us or for doing it to us with the horns down. But as usual, college football fandom uh, and 
on the national scale is pretty fucking stupid. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, so the narrative takes off online, uh, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on Reddit, where it's everyone just blaming Texas again. But in the end, it, do- it, it doesn't really fucking matter. These Everyone outside can just keep considering Texas the bad guy. Uh, it doesn't actually affect anything. It really just shows how much it gets under their skin. Uh, that they think that we have all of this big dick energy that we're constantly swinging and throwing around in the conference. And really, we don't really have that much sway. We really don't push that hard on goofy shit like that. If if we're going to waste our time fucking with the Big 12, it's certainly not about getting 15 yards of a penalty once every four games, maybe if the refs remember to call it. It's a It's a stupid fucking rule, for one. Like, I really don't give a shit. If opposing players do the hands down, it makes me laugh every time I see West Virginia fans doing it during every single game. Uh, At this point, horns down is a meme, and you really can't take it too seriously. I went to a Major League Baseball game just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Nowhere near the state of Texas, nowhere near the state of Oklahoma, none of that stuff. And still, someone came up on the Jumbotron, did horns down, not wearing any particular college team's gear. And just threw horns down. So I I think if there are Texas fans out there who are legitimately offended by it, uh, I think you're kind of crazy. It's a ridiculous thing to get upset about. Um, The only thing that I can understand getting annoyed with is just having to listen to people online bitch who don't know anything about the University of Texas, don't know anything about the relationship that we have with the Big 12, and don't want to believe that this really wasn't something we asked for. No one in burnt orange is asking for these penalties to be called. No one actually gives a shit. The whole rule is stupid. Let the players do a little bit of taunting like that. That's really not that serious. Uh, I mean, just, just let them do the hand signs. I don't, I really don't see what the big deal is, but people are going to get pissy uh, about whatever they want to get pissy about. So that sucks. Oh, that's not too bad. So today we, we're drinking. We're drinking while I'm recording this, just since we're sort of doing this as a uh, little bit of a stream of consciousness here. But just so everyone knows, not sponsoring the podcast, but I tonight's beer of choice is Weldworks Brewing Company, which is based in Greeley, Colorado. And the name of the beer is called Sponch, and it is a sour wheat ale, uh, according to the can. Brewed with strawberry puree, toasted coconut, marshmallow, milk, sugar, and sponge cookies, which are apparently a thing that I have never heard of. Uh, hopefully, that is not making me a shitty person for not knowing what that is, but gotta say, pretty good. First time I've ever had it that you just listened to me opening the can and drinking my first sip. So, not a sponsor, just sort of stream of consciousness shit here. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, I know uh, we're also going to talk Texas baseball a little bit here, but the other thing we're talking about, uh, as the south end zone renovations are being completed, Texas is also getting a new set of field turf at DKR, Texas Memorial Stadium, at Campbell Williams Field. But I think there has been a little bit of hubbub. Uh, the two biggest developments, I think, that we've seen on this new stadium or new new playing surface 
It's going to be the shade of burnt orange. We are finally getting back away from that Tennessee orange that has poisoned the program for what feels like about the last 15 years, if not longer than that. And the end zones, the sidelines actually look like a much more true to form burnt orange. And it is absolutely beautiful. Uh, You pair that darker orange with the new font that they're using for Texas and Longhorns in either end zone. Uh, That all looks beautiful. Great change. And CDC continues to show that he is very in tune with fans of the university, fans of the football team, and things that ultimately, yeah, no, the, the, the color on the field doesn't actually fucking matter. It doesn't make the football team any better. But, man, it just makes the fans feel better. Everything just looks so much cooler. Uh, and it's it's one more feather in the cap of CDC proving that he's got his finger on the pulse of the fan base at large. And that is awesome to see. The other part is a little more controversial. Uh, if you've sort of been following along on UT's website, they have it where you can watch the webcam and watch progress not only on the south end zone but also on the new playing surface the biggest development of the new playing surface outside of the that color change is at midfield it appears not only is there going to be the texas logo uh, with the longhorn and everything but there is going to be a very slightly different color silhouette of the state of texas it you should go on you should check it out Uh, preferably on a sunny day check it out when it is sunny in austin and you can see on that webcam that there's actually a a silhouette of the state of texas around the longhorn logo uh it's pretty divisive there are some people who really love it there's a several people who really hate it thinks it look think that think it looks tacky uh that it looks broke shit you know whatever i personally i'm i'm a fan i like how it looks uh, the only thing that trips me up is if you look at it not in the right light conditions, the entire state outline seems to like just disappear on the webcam. So we'll see. We'll have to see once we have an actual game, uh, see it kick off against Louisiana, if that stands out better on the TV camera. Uh, but from the south end zone up high where the webcam is mounted, right, or the north end zone where that webcam is mounted, if there's clouds, if it's raining, if if it's anything other than direct sunlight, it seems like you can't see the silhouette at all. So I, I, I think that's an interesting change. Uh, it's sort of a throwback to the late 80s, early 90s, where Texas had a white print of the state of Texas at midfield, as well as the Longhorn logo, but a little more reserved and, and not standing out nearly as boldly. So I'm really interested to see what that looks like on an actual TV camera. Finally, uh, last thing I want to talk about, Texas baseball obviously came off uh, a a big postseason run. Obviously comes to a disappointing end, but what a great season for Texas baseball. Winning the Big 12 uh, on the last day of the regular season. Didn't make a deep run in the Big 12 tournament, but in baseball it's a lot more important that you preserve your pitchers than it is that you win your conference baseball tournament. It's a nice trophy to have, but it ultimately seems like it just comes to bite you in the ass when the actual NCAA tournament comes around. 
But Texas baseball was one of the final four teams in Omaha, joined by Vanderbilt, NC State, and Mississippi State. Uh, Texas was ultimately eliminated by the eventual national champion, Mississippi State. And I think the biggest takeaway from that was that the umpiring in Omaha was absolutely dog shit. And it really fucked with Texas's offense. One of the biggest things that Texas did well this year as a baseball team was be patient with the bat. You didn't have a ton of guys swinging away at everything. Uh, Melendez and Zubia, to a certain degree, accepted from that. But the, the sort of defining factor for Texas was their ability to be patient at the plate and find a way to get on base, not necessarily hit for huge power unless you were Melendez uh, or Zubia, and then also Cam Williams as well had good power. But everyone was patient at the plate, and because of that, it, it sort of bit us. The zone seemed to expand wildly and at random, uh, and it wasn't just for a single umpire. It seemed like every umpire in Omaha had a wacky zone that had that extended into the next batter's box, dropped down to the shins, went up to the shoulders. You basically couldn't actually tell what was a borderline strike because it seemed like everything was in the strike zone. And Texas really struggled to adjust for that, especially against Mississippi State. Uh, that first game against Bednar there, striking out like 18 times or something, which was the highest total they had had since they opened the season against Mississippi State and struck out like 15 times. So that was really, really frustrating to watch, especially you could tell for the people who came in who hadn't really kept up with the team until the postseason there. that it, it It's still frustrating nonetheless to watch the team strike out that many times, but it it was it's it's hard not to see how the umpires could affect the mentality and the approach for Texas baseball uh and even still outside of those Mississippi state games in general the offense still arrived still showed up still had some pretty clutch hitting um for basically everything but that Mississippi state game so uh, a frustrating way to go out, but being a Final Four team in Omaha is nothing to scoff at, especially for how we started the year. Things seemed really dire after that opening tournament in o or in Arlington at the Rangers' new ballpark there. Uh, I think a lot of people had really low expectations for the season after the way that started. So for Texas to A, win the Big 12, win their regional, win their super regional, make it make it deep in Omaha, make a big run into Omaha, uh, was really impressive. But Mississippi State goes on to win the national title, two games to one over the Vanderbilt Commodores. I'm not sure how Texas would have done against the big two for Vanderbilt uh, with Rocker and, uh, was it Leidner or something like that? Leiter? I think so. I can't fucking remember. I, I didn't prep really at all for this. I got some bullet points to remind myself what I wanted to talk about, but I totally spaced actually writing those two guys' names down. But a, a great season, um, a really good job by David Pierce, even though there were some questionable pitching decisions in the College World Series, but such is life as the head baseball coach at the University of Texas, just like it is for any MLB manager. Every single decision you make, especially when it comes to who you've got on the mound, is going to be questioned by every dumbass uh, with a Twitter account, every dumbass with a podcast. So, I mean, that that just comes with the territory, and I'm sure it's really not under David Pierce's skin all that much. So, 
a lot of good things to build on. Obviously, the MLB draft was also this week. Uh, Ty Madden uh, became the next Texas pitcher to go in the first round. Uh, round one, pick 32 for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Mike Antico was also drafted round eight, pick 241 to the Cardinals. Shout out to Will Bazer, who I'm sure was at least a little bit excited, even though he expressed that he wishes that the Cardinals had picked a pitcher instead. Uh, Cole Quintanilla uh, got drafted round nine, pick 263 by the Washington Walgreens. Um, And I think that's a good spot for him. The Nationals do a pretty good job developing their pitching. So I I think uh, Quintanilla there is destined for good things. Um, I believe he's already said he's going to, or he's already expected uh, to sign that contract and not return. So um, shout out to him. Looking forward to it. Hopefully he and Trace Barrera uh, can hook up and get some strikeouts in the big leagues here in a few years. Uh, Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Titanic, after that monster blast uh, against Mississippi State. Round 16, pick 479 to the Miami Marlins, which is uh, sort of rough, possibly. Um, hard to say exactly what the Marlins are going to be here in a few years uh, after that sale to Jeter's group there a few years back. Uh, possibly going to be on the upswing, so uh, maybe that'll be a good thing for Melendez. He can still return. Uh, I don't think that's really been confirmed one way or another. Still waiting to hear from him if he'll be back or if he's planning to sign. Uh, Colby Kubacek, round 18 to the New York Mets. I think that one's another good pick, uh, another good spot for all of the issues that the New York Mets have had. Uh, one thing that they have done really well in recent years is be able to develop pitching. So if Kubacek does decide to sign and head to New York, uh, that's going to be a really good spot for him to develop a bunch. So I wouldn't blame him at all, even though it's the 18th round uh, for choosing the pros. Uh, Cam Williams, round 19 to the Royals. Zach Zubia, round 20 to the Marlins. I think that's interesting that Zubia went so late. I thought he was a much more consistent batter than Melendez. Um, and I'm not sure if the appeal for Melendez is the fact that we don't know what his glove is going to do or if it comes down to something where... Uh, the the DH is expected to be in the National League well before uh, Melendez would be in the show. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the what decision he makes. Um, and yeah, just in general, I thought Zubia was a much more patient batter. Melendez has a lot of development to do as a as a batter. Obviously, there's no questioning that he's got massive power, and that's something that any major league team is going to salivate over. Uh, but there's a lot to work on as far as his plate approach. Uh, he's still a, still a good hitter as it is right now, uh, but he can get better. So I, I'm interested to see what choices he makes there. Uh, the one that we have confirmed returning, uh, Saturday starter for this season, Tristan Stevens, will be back. Uh, hard to say exactly where he plugs in in the starting rotation, but you have to figure at this point, the starting rotation for Texas in 2022 is going to be some order of Tanner Witt, Pete Hansen, Tristan Stevens. And if you get right down to it, that for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday in any order is arguably the best pitching staff in all of college baseball heading into 2022. So if we can find a couple bats, find a guy to be a spark plug like Mike Antico was this year, stealing bases, getting on base, that type of thing. 
we've got guaranteed good starters right off the bat. If, if Tristan Stevens is your Sunday guy, theoretically your quote-unquote weakest guy, as consistent as he is, even though he's not a blow-em-away, strikeout kind of guy, uh, a lot of promise there for Texas. And then I never have any doubts about the rest of the pitching staff with David Pierce. That's one of the, been one of the few things that's been very consistent is a strong pitching staff. Uh, and that predates David Pierce as well. But he has continued that tradition at the University of Texas, and that's great to see. So I think the expectations for David Pierce uh, remain high. He lived up to it. I think now, if it wasn't for COVID in 2020, you're talking about three times probably getting at least deep into the NCAA tournament, uh, if not going to Omaha. So that's about as good as you can ask for these days, especially for a guy who wasn't necessarily a known quantity to the level that Augie Garrido was when we hired him back in the day. So um, things are looking positive for David Pierce. He's got things going the right direction. Maybe uh, the fine folks that hired him um, and Mike Perrin and whatnot, I, maybe they managed to actually get a good one, uh, unlike they did with uh, Tom Herman. So um, a lot of good things for baseball. Going to be looking forward to first pitch. Uh, and the season opener coming up in the next several months. Uh, we're a long way away from baseball kicking off again, but once it gets rolling, it'll be a ton of fun. So, well, uh, thanks everyone for listening to me ramble through this episode. The plan is, as I said before, um, to do this semi-regularly, but going to do minimal effort on most of this. So I will probably edit enough just to put the intro and outro music on either end of this. Uh, Otherwise, you're basically going to get the raw, uh, uncut version of this rant, ramble thing uh, moving forward. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to give me or and the podcast some feedback about what else you'd like to hear get talked about. Um, if you enjoyed it and you have some constructive criticism, of course, hit us up about that as well. You can find us on Twitter at, at the FSS Podcast. Or you can also find us on Reddit, where we'll be posting a link to this episode. Uh, you can definitely comment and give us some feedback there. Uh, make sure you hit up the hot take line for the opportunity to be featured on a future episode. If you sound off with your hot takes or questions at 512-677-4578, if we like what you had to say, or if it was funny, or if it was a good question, uh, we'll play your voice on the podcast and sort of react to what you said or respond to it. Uh, whatever that looks like. But uh, until next time, hook them.